0: There are some things in life that are certain, aren't there? Like uh, taxes, weddings, funerals. And Aaron, I think tonight we'll, uh, we're will we not going to talk about taxes because nobody wants to talk about that, but uh, I think we'll talk about a funeral and uh, what led to a wedding. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of our version of four weddings and a funeral.
0: Well, that's right, except that we're on a bit of a budget. So what did you call it when we were chatting before?
1: One wedding and one funeral.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. So... What do you say we uh, go to the funeral first and then we'll make a pit stop, a side stop in uh, Memphis in 1965 and then we'll talk about uh, the events that led up to a pretty famous wedding.
1: Sounds good to me. Let's rock and roll.
0: Let's go. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our way back music machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So I think, Aaron, uh, we're going to head back to May 14th. 1998, and uh, the world on that day lost a true giant in the music world, didn't they?
1: They did indeed.
0: The chairman of the board, Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra, found out what well, the world found out that he had passed away. So let's punch it in for May 14th, 1998.
2: 199, nine, got it. <laughs>
1: Good evening, the man whose voice was a familiar and much loved sound in the homes of generations of ordinary people was mourned by them all today. Frank Sinatra closed his famous blue eyes for the final time early this morning after a heart attack in a Los Angeles hospital. He
0: was 82. He started singing while waiting on tables at a small American restaurant. He ended having sung to the world. Today it was President Clinton who perhaps summed him
1: up best. He said Sinatra was someone who really did do it his way.
0: So we made it. Here we are at the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. And the world has just found out that Frank Sinatra has passed away from health issues at the age of 82. And uh, what a legacy he left behind. Mm-hmm. I don't, where Where do you start?
1: I don't know. I don't. I, you know, I mean, he was a brilliant actor. I mean, from here to eternity. Um, the man with the golden arm. Singer, His voice he ran the he owned reprise records which well that's right hendrix neil young i mean Joni mitchell um he was he was just a friend of the mafia um.
0: well that's right you know he he always denied his uh mafia ties but they did uh the fbi reports were released uh, after a certain while and they confirmed that he indeed uh was pretty well connected in that world but
1: but don't don't you think they were just like childhood friends that grew up to be mafia people and he just kind of went his way
0: (laughs) well i don't know but uh, (laughs) well you know you know i'm italian right on my mother's side but we Mm -hmm. have an uncle who we strongly suspect was uh mafia we we, we're not positive but uh, (laughs) he had to leave north bay when we were kids and he was basically never allowed to return and never could talk about it so wow yeah That's very very, wow. very strange a <laughs> lot of italians up there
1: well you know i'm half italian and half irish
0: so i mean
1: huh, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm canadian but i'm, I'm my, my dad's from italy and my mom's from ireland so there you go oh there you go but, but uh, sinatra man he he uh do you know what was pretty amazing about him tony what's that long before madonna Here's a guy that reinvented himself and stayed relevant from the 30s, late 30s, right through to his his passing, really.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. He was the father of invention. Boy, like he uh, nonstop, you know, and and it's not like his career took off like a rocket either. He struggled for a little while until he found his uh, stride. And it really wasn't until he started singing with the swing bands that his star shone. Boy,
1: well, and, and so a little, little tidbit about, about Sinatra. I mean, there's so much about him that's interesting, but did you know that he was arrested in 1938?
0: I heard that, but uh, yeah, what was he arrested for?
1: <laughs> well, the first charge he was arrested for, he was 23 years old and he was arrested and charged with seduction. Now, the seduction back in the 30s meant that you uh, you led women astray, single women astray, and they did things based on the promise you're going to marry them. So he was charged with seduction, but then they found out that this woman was married. So they dropped the seduction charges and charged <laughs> him with adultery. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds like something out of uh, Austin Powers or something, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Can you imagine in twenty twenty one someone being charged? Yeah, exactly. Someone being charged for adultery in twenty twenty. I mean, you'd arrest all of Hollywood. I'm sure of it.
0: But oh, that's exactly. <laughs> but uh, his uh, career, you know. Uh, he had he had a lot of things that could have prevented him from becoming uh, as big of a star as he was. As well, he had so many health issues as a kid. Um and he was just a slight figure too. He was a like stick thin. Mhm. You know, but we have this image of him right as the ladies man and the but uh, he suffered with health issues all his life.
1: Have you ever seen there's a a terrific Christmas special with him and Bing Crosby. And it's it was filmed I believe in 19 19- 55. And Bing comes over at the table, the the, the dining room table set, and Bing says, Is this for me? And Frank goes, Well, who else? And Bing goes, Well, I assumed you had a girl coming over. And Sinatra's, Me on a date? Oh, heaven (laughs) for me. <laughs> it's really quite funny because he's—he's almost—he's like, almost like you know taken aback that Ben Crosby thinks he's dating some woman. But anyways, it's you are right. He was uh well, the Bobby Soxers. That's where that originated from, wasn't it?
0: That's right. And uh, before Elvis had hit the teenage girls screaming for him, there were the Bobby Soxers. Now I did read that his manager uh, helped create the Bobby Sox hysteria. You know, he would that. pay he would pay girls five dollars to go <laughs> and to scream. But but still, the whole idea of creating that buzz and uh, uh, a lot of people. Absolutely adored Frank Sinatra and thought he was God back in the day, you know. And um,
1: my mother was one of them. I think she would have stepped over my father's corpse to get to him, you know, like she loved him. So,
0: well, I, yeah, my mom too. I mean, oh, I love Sinatra too. I, I play Frank all the time.
1: Well, you know, and, and again, I'm going to go back to the fact that in, in 1980, the guy puts out a triple album set,
0: called,
1: <laughs> which produced by Quincy Jones, by the way.
0: Yeah, I've got that. I've got that. Actually,
1: That's a great album, right?
0: Oh, it's fantastic!
1: It's it's a stunningly brilliant album, and, and here you know the peak of punk, new wave, disco, and here's Frank in the top twenty with a, <laughs> you know, American trilogy type of thing, right? Fantastic guy, and his duets albums. Remember those duets albums? Yeah, well, that seen? was
0: a precursor to all the all that whole duet trend that came later.
1: One hundred percent, and and I mean you know we have them we we, we bought them u twos on it Barbra Streisand. and yeah, jo right. it's, it's you know it's and then you know he's he was just this guy that just uh kept moving with the times I mean what can you say well, here's a little-known fact did you know he released a record on Apple records did he okay it's a quick story yeah, all right Ringo star's wife Maureen his first wife loves Sinatra so being a Beatle, he calls up Frank and says, Can you re record your Lady is a Tramp and call it Lady is a Champ and dedicate it to Maureen? So Sinatra records this song and they pressed <laughs> up one copy on Apple <laughs> Records. <laughs> and it was a, that was a birthday gift to Ringo's wife. It was this, uh, it's on Apple Records and it's been cro- or, um, Frank Sinatra singing The Lady is a Champ.
0: And, and one Maureen. pressing, and that's it. That's incredible. I don't have it. No, I was going to say, that would be a, a little valuable, don't you think? <laughs>
1: it's just a shade. I'm sure maybe I can bring him a if he's still, you know, does he want it? I'll take it off his hands. Cheap.
0: So so I have a couple of uh, El, of stories for about Sinatra. You know I'm a big Elvis fan. Like, I'm Is a huge you, Elvis fan. You are indeed. I always loved the fact that uh, he had Elvis come on his show, and Elvis was really nervous about doing this you know this is post military service and a little bit out of the game and and uh, frank treated him so respectfully i remember uh, you know listening to an interview with elvis after that and he said frank sinatra treated him respectfully and had him on the show treated him as an equal as a peer and uh, i mean elvis had a, a fantastic voice and so did sinatra so that was a, a match made in heaven in my opinion
1: me too yeah
0: you know, but just the fact that uh, here was a guy classy enough to, to recognize, you know, because I, I don't think Sinatra was a big rock and roll fan by any stretch of the imagination, but he certainly respected Elvis.
1: And he, and, he, and in, in a certain way, he was passing on the baton.
2: Right? That's I right.
1: Mean, recognizing his time on of that, of that level of, uh, you know, being a teeny bopper was over. He was moving on to something else. Hey, Elvis, take over, man, you know.
0: Yeah, so that, for me, always uh, stood out. I love watching that Elvis appearance on Frank Sinatra. Oh, it's, it's
1: brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, I, I mean, there's very little by Sinatra that I, I can honestly say, you know, I grew up with him. My mom, as I said, you know, we, if he was on TV, we're watching Frank, you know? I mean, I, I grew up with him, Bing Crosby, Dean Martin, certainly Elvis. And, uh, you know, that band from Liverpool? was So, um, <laughs> but I love Sinatra. I mean, I still... I I listened to so much. In fact, I he did a radio show in the in the '40s where he played it straight, no music. He didn't sing at all. It's called Rocky Fortune. I mean, that's pretty pretty brave of a guy who was known as a singer. That's right. To do a radio show and not sing. I mean, come on. Let's give him credit for that. That and I recommend everyone listening Google Rocky Fortune and listen to a couple of episodes. You will not be disappointed. Great show.
0: Yeah, very talented guy. Uh, do you have a favorite Frank song or a couple of songs that really stand out for you? I have two that. What are uh, your two? Well, my two, I absolutely love Come Fly With Me. Mm-hmm. Love that one. And uh, I've Got You Under My Skin. Both of those are pro- probably my two favorites, just the ones that I will start humming by default. But. Uh, Absolutely love those, tones, those I, songs.
1: I, I'm with you on, the, on those two, but the other one that I would add to that list that I really love is a, is a later day Frank song called That's Life.
0: Oh, and That's right. Life is fantastic.
1: I love that song.
0: <laughs> so Rick and I play a couple of Frank songs uh, in our sets and uh, that's one of them is that You Life. do That's Life? We do That's Life. Really? Oh, yeah. I'd love
1: to hear that. That'd be great. I'll That'd see if honest. I have a
0: recording of it and uh, send it to you, yeah. Please,
1: I would love to hear I love that song.
0: Um, oh, it's a great song.
1: Willie Nelson just released a version of it, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I think Willie's 120 now, but you know, <laughs> <That's> he, <right. laughs> But he, he just released a new version of That's like I love Sinatra's version of that. And I I love, of course, I mean, I love his version of something. He did a great version of something.
0: You yes, he knock, did.
1: He can't knock it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Beatle covers, but I'm going to go with that one.
0: Well, and, and he totally acknowledged that that was a brilliant love song. I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. such a fantastic love song.
1: And it's a great version. He really arranged it beautifully. And, uh, yeah, I love Frank. I'm not, I'm, I've, in fact, just today I was listening to some Frank's Sinatra CDs just kind of while I was working. I put them on in the background. Love him, So
0: Well, you know what? This was a really nice chat and celebration of his life. Um, what do you say we uh, head to Memphis, though, 1965 next?
1: I, You know, you don't have to twist my arm to go to Memphis. Anything to get me there, I'm there.
0: Okay, me too. I love Memphis, so let's do it. Punch it in, and let's head to Memphis. Got it. All right, here we are, May twelfth, nineteen sixty-five, and we're sitting in the parking lot of Stax Records, and this is a, a pretty momentous recording session, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this is one for the history books. It really is. Um, and and I, full disclosure, anything on Stax? I love it. I love Otis Redding. You know, anyway, so yes, this is a momentous occasion to
0: be here. Well, especially in the 60s, you know, you had Motown and you had Stax. Uh, and yep. brilliant lineups for both uh, both record companies. Boy.
1: And one of the greatest Stax artists, or one of the greatest art Wilson Pickett. And he's going to record a song that's going to go down in history called In the Midnight Hour.
0: And In the Midnight Hour is one of my favorite Wilson Pickett songs. What a, oh, what a classic.
1: It's just, it's... it. I can put it on today, and it doesn't sound the least bit dated.
0: No, exactly. Those,
1: those horns, oh man,
0: man! Well, and speaking of those horns, you know, at the school when I started the uh, the jazz band years ago, I I ran it more like a a rhythm and blues band. And uh, Midnight Hour was one of the first three or four songs that I introduced the kids to. You know, Soul Man and uh, Midnight Soul man Hour, yeah. yeah. It's so. Uh, this uh, midnight hour in the midnight hour has a special place in my heart for sure too but what a fantastic song and uh, this is just a huge recording session
1: oh yeah and, and and just about in the midnight hour Roxy music did a cover of it in 1982 on their flesh and blood album and I'm gonna be full disclosure you know that's one of the songs that got me into Roxy was their cover of in the midnight hour and again it you know it's no it's it's not it doesn't top. Uh, Wilson Pickett, but look it up. It's a good version. It's really. It good. is a
0: good version. I was watching it the other day, actually. And Were you really? Yeah, yeah. It's good. good,
1: right? I mean, yeah, yeah fairly It is. is. Nice. Yeah, I love it. It's pretty
0: good. Well, and it's also very faithful to uh, the original. I mean, it it's is. different. It's different, but it's also very faithful to the original at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, do you know where the t- you know where the song came from? Like the Wilson Picketts, in, uh, I guess, inspiration influenced. You know.
0: Well, I am guessing it's got to be gospel, right?
1: That's right. Steve Cropper said that he heard Wilson singing a song and listened to the same old church stuff he sang on. He was singing "See My Jesus" in the midnight hour. "See My Jesus" in the midnight hour. And I said, "I'm going to see my girl in the midnight hour. What about that?" And of course, history is made, right? I mean, I don't know would it have been as big a hit about seeing Jesus at midnight? I'm not so sure, but <laughs> but you know. Go and see your girl in the midnight hour, and you're you got a hit.
0: Well, for sure. And uh, let's talk about the recording session itself too. How they did it. This was a straight off the floor recording, wasn't it? Everybody playing at the same time. Can you believe life? it's
1: live? It's live. Yeah,
0: I love that. Love that.
1: It's completely live. And 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 one of the people on the song, Steve Cropper. Um, you know, it, it was so popular that the Beatles they wanted to record. Um, in that studio because they loved the sound of that song, and unfortunately, it got canceled due to Brian Epstein said security problems in 1965. I'm guessing they just that it would have been overrun by women, girls screaming, but um, and, and, and me screaming if I was if I was there, I'd be screaming right along with the girls. Um, so yeah, no, can you imagine if the Beatles had recorded in, in in that studio? That would be epic, epic. But yeah, oh, for, for sure. Um, yeah, great time, great song, it stands the well, test of time,
0: and it was always that, that competition, right, between Stax Records and uh Barry Gordy's uh, uh Motown Records in Detroit, and just some brilliant music produced by both. What a what a time!
1: Oh, yeah, and and, and then Tossin Atlantic Records too, because they had like the Aretha Franklin's and uh. I mean, they had a couple of. Uh, there were they were challenging stocks too. So you had the three kind of throwing at this music, which was just unbelievable and unbelievably good.
0: Oh, for I, sure.
1: You like? Are you a fan of Otis Redding at all?
0: Yeah, I love Otis Redding.
1: Yeah, me too. It's just one of my favorites. I could just put on Otis Redding all the time anyways
0: all, all, I'm a big fan of all that uh, all that like that Motown and Stax era love that you, stuff.
1: Just, you, just, you were just telling me you just saw a rather good documentary on Motown right speaking yeah. of Motown
0: yeah I'll have to look up the title again I can't remember the title but it's fantastic and it's uh, they got Barry Gordy and um, oh his name is escaping Smoky? me there Smokey Smokey Robinson and uh, they're hanging out and visiting the old studio and, and chatting and telling stories it's brilliant Brilliant.
1: Well, I'm gonna, It's on Netflix, you said, right?
0: It's on Netflix, so I will send it your way.
1: And I'm telling you, Tony, as soon as those borders open up, you and I and Cynthia and Andrea were heading down to Detroit, you've got to go on the tour. You have to.
0: It's, oh, I cannot wait. I've Yeah, it's on my list. So I'd like to find out uh, what was on the charts that week.
1: Well, it was, a, it was an interesting... I'm going to go album charts just because I always find... I, just, I usually do singles, so this time I'm going to do albums. And, and again... It's really a hodgepodge of stuff in 65. Number five is Andy Williams with his album, A deer Heart, which, by the way, my mom had. Number four, The Beach Boys, The Beach Boys Today. Number three, th- th- this album was on the charts, I think, for the entire decade. Soundtrack to The Sound of Music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always love that one of the Simpsons where they're driving and a deer runs across the, the street and Homer goes, Doh! And then Bart goes, A deer. And then Bart <laughs> says, A female deer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number two is uh, Herman's Hermits introducing Herman's Hermits, and number okay. one, number one, um, Julie Andrews must have been just raking in the dough. Number one was the soundtrack to Mary Poppins. Um,
0: oh wow, I I love Mary Poppins, just my <laughs> little guilty pleasure. I love that movie.
1: Do you know what my favorite song? Guess Chim what Chim cherry
0: Oh, Chim Chim is great, uh, but that's that's a such a fantastic movie. Dick Van Dyke is brilliant in that. Um, um, you know, oh, and even, the, yeah. Go ahead. Sarah. Yeah. Oh, the rooftop dancing scene is is my favorite.
1: I was just going to say that. It's <laughs> 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 so it's an incredibly choreographed, right? It's just brilliant. I, I I agree. I did you ever see the sequel? The one they just came out with?
0: No, I want to see it. That was it good or?
1: I haven't seen it. I'm I'm I'd like to have taken my daughters, but they were away and old. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, we'll see if, if – it's Emily Blunt, right, I think? I, I wonder yeah. if she's uh, a good uh, replacement for Julie Andrews. I'm very curious, but I'm going to have to watch that.
1: Well, maybe when my daughter's home for the summer, we can uh, twist her arm and force her to sit and watch this sequel with me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm digressing a bit here, but there's a good Disney movie called Saving Mr. Banks. Well, okay. Um, have you seen that with Tom Hanks in it? And, and, and I have
0: little...
1: not. Oh, Tony have to see this movie it's great it's all about how they made mary poppins and the pressure they were under for the studio it's very good saving mr
0: banks oh i'll we'll have to check that one out yep. so we've covered the funeral and we have visited this famous recording session at Stax record and you know everybody loves a love story and i think we should Go to May fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, and talk about one of rock and roll's greatest love stories. What do you think?
1: I think it's, if not one, it's not one. of, I think it's the greatest love story in in rock and roll history, I do. I really do. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Now that we figured out how to cross the Atlantic easily, but yes. Wait, you know, I'm telling you, unleaded makes it all the difference, man.
0: Well, and the premium stuff. I, you know, ever since that little <laughs> mishap a few episodes ago, I have been putting premium in all the time. So. <laughs> Alright, punch it in. Let's head head, uh, across the pond and uh, let's go to 1967 May 15th.
2: We're in. Marianne Lynch took off at 7.45am flew 2,949 miles made three stops and most of the trip still lies ahead. Now there are schedules to check flight reports to make A quick supper with friends, before turning in. Next morning, on the go again at 6.15. Then, St. Louis, Cincinnati. Finally, New York. Glamour job. Marianne has made dozens of runs like this. Served hundreds of hot meals. Greeted thousands of new people. It all demands a lot of charm. And works out to a lot of Coke. Does Coca-Cola have the taste you never get tired of? Do we mean it when we say Coke is always refreshing? is things go better with coke after coke after coke just a slogan right miss Ann lynch trans world airlines box 7144 st louis missouri she'll tell you
1: so here we are uh tony we're parked in front of a place called the bag o nails which is a live music club in in london in soho actually and this is a place where people like georgie fame and Jimi hendrix and, and eric burton in indiana when well, they play here and it's also the Beatles' favorite club. But what's special about this particular place and this particular day in 1967, um, which, you know, was May the 15th, is Paul McCartney meets a photographer named Linda Eastman. They meet for the first time here in the Bag Nails Club. And it's kind of love at first sight. And, um, I mean, what can you say? I'm, I think that the Paul and Linda McCartney story, uh, I just think it's phenomenal.
0: I mean, oh, is... I do too, and I hundred percent agree with you that this this has got to be Rock's greatest love story and most enduring, and and they spent very little apart time apart too, didn't they?
1: Eleven days. <laughs> I mean, once once Linda moved in with Paul, they spent eleven, and that was only when she went into hospital to give birth to uh, the children. Um, and and that by the way, for for those of you who don't know, that's where the name Wings came from. Did you know that? No. So when, when Linda was giving birth to their second child, the very famous Stella McCartney in her own right, very famous, there was complications, and they took McCartney out of the room and said, "You got to stay here, man." And McCartney prayed and prayed and prayed, and he had a vision of an angel coming down. And he saw the wings of the angel, and, and the angel said, "It's going to be okay." He thought that was important, so he said, "Wings," that's never been Linda, and that's where the name Wings came from. Which is very—it's a touching story to me, you know.
0: Oh for sure you know and of course she was involved in Wings uh, she yeah. played in Wings with Paul and um, he
1: took a lot of criticism for that too
0: Did she ever I think yeah. people were I think people were in the back of their minds thinking oh god here we go it's Yoko Ono <laughs> all over again right but uh, kind of yeah But uh who was there was a a famous singer who actually uh Talked to Linda after a show and complimented her and, and, and said, You know, like you're, you're doing a lot better than you think you are. And I, I, don't, I don't remember who it was. Do you know who that was?
1: No, I know who you're talking about. My mind just went blank, but I remember her talking about that in an interview. Paul, Paul or Linda said about an interview, and it was a very famous artist. And he, he was quite complimentary about her. She always downplayed her ability to play keyboards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that solo, the synthesizer solo in Band on the Run. That's pure Linda. She wrote that. I mean, that's a great solo.
0: You know? Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite wing songs, actually. It's fantastic.
1: It's brilliant. I mean, this is a couple that endured it all. And I mean, you know the song My Love was mm-hmm. written by Linda. Do you know what's special? Do you know the funny story about My Love? No. McCartney wanted to record it like Stacks. He wanted to do it in one take. So they hired this big orchestra. He's got his band Wings. just minutes before they're going to record the song. The lead guitarist at the time, Henry McCulloch leans over and says, you know what, I'm going to change the solo. Like, I know we've practiced one solo, but I'm going to change it. And Paul's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Henry. (laughs) And they did it in one take. That song is done live off the floor with the orchestra, everything, you know?
0: In one take.
1: One take of my love. And that song went on to become one of his biggest hits. I mean, number one around the world, right?
0: Yes, uh, huge. Uh, You know, I remember talking to, um, this is a little bit off topic here, but it's about orchestras and recording sessions. Mm -hmm. So when you take like a Disney movie, now this would have been, gosh, maybe 2011. uh, I was speaking with a a Disney professional um, musician, a trumpet player who played on, you know, all these big movies like The Lion King. And uh, you know how much it cost back then, even like in 2011? For one minute of orchestra time in a recording session, oh, wow. ten thousand dollars a minute.
1: A minute? Are you serious?
0: Ten thousand dollars a minute was the cost for that orchestra to be there. To <laughs> so, um, you know, he uh, he said, like you don't make mistakes in this gig. Like you just don't. You can't. And so
1: now, he, now I have like, to McCartney's kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's so pricey, right? Because these orchestras that you're getting in, they're all members of the union. And you've got to pay union scale. Oh,
1: of course. Of course. Well, I didn't know that. That's a good gig.
0: <laughs> yeah. So but, he but said you know, have to, you got to be perfect for that.
1: And let's face it. I mean, you don't get much more perfect than a Disney. I mean, Disney soundtracks are Are classic, right? I mean, Lion King is a good example, or Aladdin, or hell, go back to the, you know, 50s and 60s. They're, you know, bare bare necessities.
0: Well, that's right.
1: (laughs) But, you know, McCartney supported Linda, the photography, her vegetarian, her cookbooks, the uh, frozen veggie meals you can buy in England and the States. Uh, it was a lo- it was a lovely relationship, and they met that one night. And then she uh, she was invited to the Sgt. Pepper launch in June. And she took that very famous photo of Paul and John with their thumbs up, holding the album cover. It's very famous. And uh, yeah, she's a. Uh, and what can I say? It's a great love story. And. Um, some great love songs, and on the Spotify playlist, I put a song called "The Lovely Linda," which he wrote on his first solo album. It's only a minute and twelve seconds, but well worth your time. So,
0: yeah, you know they were a, a relationship of equals in terms of how they treated each other, and and uh, incredible. I I love hearing stories about Paul and Linda, and he must have been so devastated when she passed. Eh, like I can't oh, yeah. imagine.
1: I, I mean, I just think that. Uh, well, he talked about getting counseling, and and his son moved back in with him. Um, 11 days I mean he was with her when she passed away he stayed with her the entire time like there was never you know that was just wasn't uh, wasn't a uh, consideration and um, I gotta be honest Tony kind of a role model for me and Andrea like I looked at that relationship and I thought that's how it should be that's right but, mind you Ringo and his wife just celebrated 40 years they had an anniversary Barbara Bach 40 years so
0: yeah there you go
1: you know it's true love is there, you know, but uh, yeah. So a great love story that had a, I don't want to say a sad ending, it had a great ending because they were together and they made it work. And I mean, as I said, she, both of them took criticism for her playing in the band. And, um, there's a great, there's a great book though, called Paperback Writer, which is an alternative universe about the Beatles. And it's very funny. It's about the Beatles getting back together again in the late seventies. And, uh, Paul says to Linda, like I'm really sorry, but the band wants to get together. She goes, "Oh, great! I was going to tell you this anyway." Steely Dan wanted me to join their band.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I always thought that was funny.
0: <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, well, you know, when we looked at the uh, this week in rock and roll history, we were uh, looking for what we were going to visit, and this one popped up, and I thought, like, we have to do the love story because everybody needs a good love story to I concentrate on, and and this was the biggest.
1: Well, and let, me, let me just do a quick rundown of the top five albums that week. And, and it's, again, Tony, help me out here.
0: <laughs> <Number> four, <laughs> for sure.
1: <laughs> number five is Dr. Zhivago soundtrack. What's with these soundtracks? Number four, Ed Ames, My Cup Runneth Over, uh, The Love and Spoonful, The Best of Which, had a song that Paul McCartney, that influenced Paul McCartney, um, What a Day for a Daydream. Oh, uh, McCart- yeah. He wrote A uh, Good Day Sunshine after hearing that. Uh, the Mamas and the Papas deliver, and more of the monkeys at number one.
0: Oh, wow!
1: Sounded music number six, and uh, the Temptations. You were talking about Motown earlier, and the Temptations had an album at number eleven, which was a live album, and they were at number nine with their greatest hits. And I'm sorry, I found it really funny that Montavani and Lawrence Welk were in the top one hundred. Anyways,
0: uh, I used to. My grandfather was a big Lawrence Welk fan, so my I...
1: grandma, my grandma. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I grew up on a pretty steady diet of Lawrence Welk, you know, a one and a two. Two and, <laughs> and the bubbles? All yeah. the bubbles. <laughs> you know, that was his license plate, eh? Did you know that? A1.
1: No, are you serious?
0: Yeah, A1 and A2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: no, oh, I'd love to see. i got to Google that. i got to see a picture. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I mean, is it, you know, he was what he was. <laughs>
0: well somehow we went from uh, Paul and Linda McCartney to uh, Lawrence <laughs> Welk to me uh, since we said the words Lawrence Welk I think it's time for us to uh, jump to the present and I guess you've uh, you've got a song for me don't you
1: I've got a I got a song for you this week I do indeed
0: okay so uh, punch in uh, 2021 and let's head home and I I'm waiting with bated breath here we go. Well, that was uh, pretty sweet, and uh, thank you for that, actually, and I and I do mean that. That was really cool, but I'll let you explain what I was listening to.
1: Well, I don't know if the kids are listening to it, but it is number one this week on the Billboard Jazz Song Chart.
0: It's a guy named Dave Cause
1: with Paul Jackson Jr., uh, and a song called Dr. Norm. So, I thought, you a jazz guy, a horn guy, you might like it. So, there you go. I don't mind okay. it. That had a good groove to it.
0: No, I loved it. And... Um, Couple things. Uh, I mean, nobody out there listening to this podcast is going to have any idea about what I'm talking about right now, but it reminded me a lot of an album that a guy named Eddie Daniels did about uh, 20 years ago. Um, Good vibe, tasteful playing. I'm going to tell you, you know, my tastes in jazz run very old school. Like I am, you know, the 30s and the 40s. I can't stand bebop. I I think uh, I I admire bebop for the, the technical prowess you have to have to play that kind of music but it is uh, a very self-indulgent type of jazz and in my opinion that's when jazz started to lose uh, relevance was in the bebop era because it was all of a sudden it went from being this music meant for listening and dancing uh into something totally different and uh something you know something that became way too intellectual for the average person and uh strayed too far from its roots that's just my opinion but this was uh, very cool and uh, a couple of things i picked up on is during his solo uh he quoted miles davis which i love he quoted a song called four by miles davis and i heard it right away i was like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> i
1: so, thought you articulated uh, that very well quite frankly i thought you expressed uh, expressed yourself remarkably well about bebop just saying just saying
0: well it's just it it strayed from what it was supposed to be. And there's all kinds of theories about why that happened. But, uh, you know, Miles Davis was one of the ones who rebelled against that. And he said, no, this, like, he, you know, with his uh, push towards playing cool jazz instead. uh, Because he had been a bebop player for a while, too. But it's just, it became too much. Uh, I can't, like, if I go to a jazz gig now and I see somebody just up there shredding I'll last about two minutes I I can't uh, it belongs in the practice room you know I'm the same with a with a rock and roll show if a like a I don't mind a guitar solo that's a couple minutes long but if someone's going to be overindulgent and and, you know shred for 20 minutes up there like that stuff is great for the practice room but not it's so like, great for audiences, you know.
1: It's like those twenty-minute drum solos from the Prague Rock days. Like, okay, you can play the drums.
0: Yeah, solo. yeah, and and just a little bit self-indulgent, you know. But uh, but uh, great choice. Thanks for that.
1: You're welcome. And, and you mentioned Miles Davis. I was watching a, a concert, an old concert from hmm, I don't know what year it would be nineteen ninety. Oh,
0: no, you talk 87. about a guy who reinvented himself.
1: Well, this concert is eighty-seven with Prince. Yeah. And he just comes on during Prince's Encore. And he just, you know, it's Prince and Miles Davis. It's pretty damn cool, right?
0: Oh, and Miles reinvented himself so many times. And, uh, you know, the, the most influential jazz uh, musician in history, in my opinion. I mean, he just steered jazz in a ton of different directions. And the epitome of cool. What a guy. And, you, think, and, you think he was
1: cooler than Perry Como? Oh,
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and you know what? Since we uh since we said Barry Como, I think it's time to uh, it's time to end our road trip here. What do you think? This is a great one, eh? I really enjoyed talking enjoyed, about. it I today. thought it was
1: yeah, it was fun. It was and good driving, man.
0: Really good. Oh, driving. thanks. Yeah, yeah. I've been working on it, and uh you know the premium gas is paying off. So
1: it's showing. It's showing. Trust me, it's showing.
0: <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, I guess uh, we will see you next week. But as always, it was a pleasure, sir. And uh, we're pulling oh, up to your pleasure. place now. So uh, say hi to Andrea for me.
1: And you give my best to Cynthia and take good care.
0: You too. See you next week, man. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley.
1: And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest
0: episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play our voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with
1: us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast.
0: Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine Podcast is a Stewie Tunes production.